talk to you about the book of Ruth. And as I said, we started to come through the Bible book by book. And my goal is to get you to the point where when we're done, you have some kind of operational understanding about the Bible. You're able to look at the Bible and, and see it in its entirety. Remember I told, and I've told you this before, yesterday I told the folks down there where we were that the Bible's a picture book. And when you understand the Bible, you see the picture. And the picture is what God's doing from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. And we talked about how that all kind of goes together. And the book of Ruth, to me, has always been a book that uh, I, I've always enjoyed. Because it's, a, it's, a, it's really, and I don't know how to say this, it's, it's really just a story. And to me, I've always enjoyed stories. I can remember, you know, I wasn't very good in high school. But one of the, one, my best class was, was English. And we had a class in there which was called uh, Literature Appreciation. I don't know what they call it today. All that meant was you got to read a lot of books, and then you, got to, you had to stand up and tell what the books were about. I think that class probably helped me more than anything else get myself prepared for the Bible down the line. Because that's really what the Bible is. When you learn the Bible, you learn that the Bible is nothing more than stories. I told you that. But when you come to like the book of Ruth, you have one book with one story. You get in the book of Genesis, man, you got 28,000 stories. Uh, you know, and you got, they're all good, and they're all important, but it's, I like the fact that you got one book with one storyline that really gives you everything you want. Because I'm just like a child. And Jesus said that's the way we're supposed to be. And I never knew a child didn't like stories. And a child likes to sit down and be told a story. And, you know, they put, make millions of dollars off the storybooks for kids, you know, Christian and non-Christian, you know, you know, Goldilocks and the three bears, you know, and, you know, the three little pigs and, you know, things like that. And they build their little houses, you know, and the big bad wolf comes and, and you know, and they try to knock down the thing. First one was made of something like that. And then we got to the third one, it was, a, it was made of brick because it was a bunker with an AK-47 mounted on top. The little wolf got his tail shot off. I mean, that was the story I read. I don't know which one you got. But anyway, I like stories. Now, the Book of Ruth is a great story. Now, ladies, you're going to love this one because it's a love story. And women love love stories. I tell you what, women love to watch movies that are about the love of their life. That's why all these reality TV programs, you know, where this, these women get to pick, the bachelor gets to pick the women, and the women get to pick the That's why they're so popular. They present a, a dream picture, you know, of, in, a, in a perfect world. And you think because they buy everything and they set it all up and everybody's lovely and everybody's nice, that that creates a dream scenario about love. And that's really not true. Those things are all fabricated to give the illusion that that's what really love is. No, no. If you want to really get a love story, you've got to come to the book of Ruth. Now, I want to read <coughs> chapter 1 for you. And then we're going we're gonna to talk about it and we're going <coughs> to make some observations. But here's what, I just so you get the gist of it, here's what we got. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judea, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Emelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Shilon, Ephraites of Bethlehem, Judea. And they came unto the country of Moab and continued there. And Emelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the name of one was Oprah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Shilon died also, both of them, and the women were left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, of her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. 
The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go uh, with, with, with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say, I have hope. If I should have a husband, and also tonight, should also bear sons. Would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Ophrah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And said unto her, and she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, <coughs> and there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, It is Naomi. And she said to them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem, in the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we love you. Although we come to this great book today, we, we look forward to what you have for us. Truly, Lord, there's so much here that needs to be talked about today. I pray, Father, that you'll give me the clarity of thought and mind to be able to not only extract it all, but to put it together in a, in a way, in an understandable way, that these your people would be edified and be encouraged. Lord, the preaching of the Word of God does no good if people don't understand it. The preaching and teaching of the Bible by any pastor is of no avail if he hadn't had the ability to break it down where his people can grasp it, digest it, and then use it in their own personal lives. Help me, Father, to be that preacher today. Help these, my people, to be that kind of Christian today that will take in the Word of God, to apply it to their hearts and their lives. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now that's the beginning of the story of Ruth. And I want to kind of I want to kind of give you the storyline here. And then we're going to look at our cast of characters in this great book because they're incredible. Now, chapter one, as we already read, says this. The story begins with a famine in the land of Israel. And, of course, Emelech and his wife Naomi with their two sons, Chilon and Malon, they, all from Bethlehem, they make the journey down the Moab. And in the process of time, the Bible says, Emelech dies, and Naomi is left with her two boys who in time also marry two women of Moab, Ophrah and Ruth. Now, after the Bible says about ten years, in verse 5 there, those two men die. Now it's just Naomi, Ruth, and Ophrah and a lot of insurance money, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Naomi, hears, Naomi hears that the famine is over in Israel, and she decides to go back to her people. And she tells her daughters-in-law, hey, look, I'm old. I can't give you husbands. And even if I could have a child tonight, you don't want to wait to get married till they grow up. You need to stay here, and you need to find you a husband right here among your own people. But I've got to go back to Bethlehem to my people. The Bible says that Ophrah leaves our story at this point. The Bible says she goes back to her people and her gods. But the Bible says that Ruth, that around verse 16, someplace in there, claves unto Naomi. 
And she makes that great statement that your people will become my people, that your God will become my God, that whether thou goest, I will go. Now see, now you're probably understanding now, how many times have you been to a wedding where when the bride and the groom come down, you see, and this thing, all this is how it all plays in as a beautiful love story. The bride and groom come down. And, you know, everybody's in attendance and everybody stands up and the old pastor does his opening remarks. And then, you know, everything gets quiet. The lights come down. The music comes up. She looks at him and sings that, that beautiful song. I don't know the name of it, but it comes right out of here. She looks at him and says, Whether thou goest, I will go. And everybody's just going, oh. He looks at her back and says, And whatever thou spendest, I know I'll owe. <laughs> and, that's, and that's how it starts, you see. <laughs> that's, now, that's not what they say, but that's what's going on. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I'm telling you. But you see, that's where it comes in. And they make this thing so beautiful. Because, <laughs> uh, and see, when I got married, marriage license were, were three, three bucks. And I thought, what a deal. Yeah, right. <laughs> In fact, one time, I got a call from MasterCard. They, they said to me, hey, you know your credit card's been stolen? And I said, yeah, I know. They said, well, how come you hadn't reported? And I said, because whoever's got it's using it less than my wife was. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. As they say in the black church, well, <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, <clears throat> back to our story. Now, Naomi, she says, I'm not leaving. <laughs> my wife is going to have, I'm going to hear this. She's going to laugh about this the rest of the day. So, okay. Anyway, she says, you're my people. Whether thou goest, I will go. And all that, all, and all that, all that you do, you're God. Where you die, I'm going to die. So Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem, which is called in the Bible the house of bread, by the way. Everybody's happy to see them. And she tells them how God has dealt bitterly with her and how that the hand of God. In fact, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. She said, because God's hand has been against me and God has dealt with me bitterly. And the Bible says that when they go back, that it's the beginning or the time of the barley harvest. And Ruth, not having a husband, has to find a job. So she finds a job gleaning in the fields. Now chapter 2 tells us that one day Ruth's working in the fields and she's working her way down and she works her way into a field that belongs to a man by the name of Boaz. Now Boaz is a rich guy, owns a lot of land. And he's kind of like uh, somebody that in our own society would be, you know, uh, he has people that work in his fields, he owns a lot of land. Kind of like the Ben Cartwright type from the old Ponderosa days, you know. And he's out there surveying what's going on, and he, he, he sees Ruth working out there in his field, and he says to his servant, who's that woman working over there in my field right there? And the servant says, well, she's the woman that came up with Naomi from Moab. She's a Moabitess. Well, Boaz begins to talk with her. And he begins to recognize some great aspects of her life. Now, he already had known about Naomi and the loss of her husband. And he had known how that Ruth had worked to take care of not only herself, but Naomi. And this moves him. Because she's not an Israelite. She's not a Jew. She's a Moabite. And so, because of that, and because he sees how hard she works, and probably the fact that she was good looking had a little bit to do with it. He says to her, stay in my field. And you know what? I'm going to put a clause of protection around you. Because back then, working in the field for a woman was a very dangerous thing. Because roving bands would come in and carry the women captive. And, and it, it was not always the easiest job. 
So he says, I'm going to put a clause of protection around you. You stay in my field because I have men who guard my workers and nobody will bother you. She's overwhelmed to find grace in, in, in Boaz's sight. Now, Boaz is a, the Bible calls him a near kinsman to Naomi. That means he's a blood relative. And he's a blood relative through the husband, Emelech. He's related. And now Ruth goes back, you know, at the end of the day, and she tells, she tells Naomi all that happened. And how God, uh, you know, or how that uh, she met Boaz and all this. And Naomi tells her, you know what? I'm telling you, God is in this. God, you found favor with God, and, and God's doing something in your life. So then Naomi begins to give her instructions. Naomi, her mother-in-law, begins to tell Ruth how to get with Boaz and to, and to deal with Boaz. In fact, as the process of time goes on, she tells Ruth to go down to the fleshing, threshing floor where they thrash the wheat, and she says, Boaz is going to be down there. And so Ruth goes down there that evening. And the Bible says in chapter 3, down there, the story is like in verse 1 through 7. Naomi says, before you go, wash yourself, anoint thyself, change your raiment. And then she goes, and while he's asleep, she slips in and she, she nestles down at his feet and she sleeps at his feet. He wakes up in the middle of the night and he's startled. And when he sees that it's her, He's struck by the fact that she has such an unbelievable servant's attitude. And he says to her in 3 verse 11, he says, you know what? You are a virtuous woman. Now, as all love stories go, from watching her in the field, talking with her, seeing her character, seeing all that she is, Boaz falls in love with her. And he comes to the point where he wants to marry her. And I mean, and, and why wouldn't he? I mean, really. She works all day. He don't have to do nothing. <laughs> she does whatever he commands. And when she sleeps, she sleeps at his feet. My kind of woman. <laughs> so he goes to town. He takes ten witnesses with him. Because as a kinsman redeemer, he has the right to redeem all that Naomi has. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So he goes into town, he takes the witnesses, and he, he goes through the process there. And then he makes the statement, I have bought all that was Amalek's. And Boaz pays the price and redeems Naomi and Ruth, and then he marries her. The Bible says in verse 13, that she conceives. You see that thing? There's always the conception listed where the birth is. Talked about that a couple Thursday nights ago. Bible says they have a son. She conceived. They call his name Obed. And then the Bible says that Obed in time grows up and begats Jesse. And then the Bible says Jesse grows up in time and begats David, the king. So we see a, historically an incredible concept how that Ruth, a Moabitess, is yet the great-grandmother of David. And from a historical standpoint, the book forms a historical bridge from the book of Judges into the book of Samuel. The book forms a historical bridge from the apostasy that's taken place in Israel to the greatest king the nation of Israel has ever seen. Now that's the storyline from the book of Ruth. <clears throat> And with that, most churches, and unfortunately most pastors, would now tie it all together, put a nice bow on it, wrap it up, and send you home. But the book of Ruth is much, much more than that. We've not anywhere near the end. In fact, we're just in the beginning. Because that's the historical application. And that's all true. But keep in mind now, I told you this, and I tell you this almost every week. And I told you from the time we began to study the Old Testament, I took you over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
And I told you that the Bible says that the things in the Old Testament that happened to the nation of Israel were for our New Testament examples and examples. The Bible says, therefore, our admonition. In other words, the book of Ruth, like every book we've studied so far, has something in it that applies to your life and my life by example, by example. That shows us and admonishes us as a New Testament believer. Now, for me personally, and I cannot claim this for you, but for me personally, the two most intimate books in the Bible for me in the Old Testament, one is the book of Song of Solomon. Because in the book of Song of Solomon, it shows me what my attitude should be toward Christ and my wife. But then it also shows the attitude that Christ has toward me and the attitude that my wife should have back toward me. So, to me, the book of Song of Solomon is a great book. But the other great book that goes along with it is the book of Ruth. My own title for the book of Ruth, in my own heart, my own mind, is simply called Romance of Redemption. Because it pictures my salvation. Not only does it show what Christ did for me in redeeming me, it does something that no other book of the Bible does, and if somebody would ask me, I wouldn't even know where to begin to tell them to go to figure this out other than here, but it begins to show me that before I was saved, while I was still lost in my sin, while I was still on my way to hell, God looked down and saw something in me that was worth redeeming. Now, I don't know how to explain that. I don't know why you can put 50 people in a room and go with them all through life, and some will get saved and some will get lost and die to go to hell. I know that God doesn't intend for that to happen. I know that that's not what God wants. <clears throat> I know that when God died, He died for everybody. But how come some people will trust Christ and some people won't? Now, I'll tell you this. Women in the Bible are something to study, especially in the New Testament. You realize that when you study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you find that Christ is coming to the women and talking to the women, you realize that in the New Testament there's not one woman that rejects him? If all of the women that come to Christ or he has contact with in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not one woman rejects him. And the book of Ruth does more than just show me my Redeemer. It begins to help me understand what Christ saw in me and obviously in you that made him pursue us to the point that in time we came to Christ when others don't. Now, you know what? You got in this world today a lot of heresy, and one of the heresies you got is predestination. The fact that God predestines some people to be saved and some people to be lost. The problem with a predestination guy is he doesn't have any sense. He doesn't understand the book of Ruth. There is no way you can believe in predestination when you understand the book of Ruth. Because the book of Ruth shows you that God, God, God died for everybody, and it is your choice. They're so clear in Ruth. But then a guy that believes in predestination, he ain't going to want to study the Bible. He wants to believe in his own deals. Now, <clears throat> to me, the book of Ruth really fulfills like Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 for me. Because Deuteronomy chapter 29 says something like this. It says that God, the deep things of God, the deep things that God, when they are revealed, they're revealed unto me and they become mine. They become the personal things that God gives to me. And when I read the book of Ruth, and the first thing I want to draw your attention to is in verse 1, it says this. Now it came to pass in the days that the judges ruled. Now this book and this story took place during the time of the judges. Remember last week I showed you the book of Judges. The week before that I showed you the book of Joshua. And I showed you how one of the ways that God shows you the Bible and teaches you the Bible is by contrast. And we contrasted last week the book of Joshua 
and the book of Judges and shows you a tremendous amount of information on the concept of contrast. Now, I also said that God also teaches you by association. That's the book of Ruth. God teaches you great concepts about your own personal life with Ruth in association with the book of Judges. Because you know what it teaches? I'll tell you what it teaches. It teaches very clearly and plainly that you and I can have a relationship with God that works in an age of apostasy of religion. Because that's the book of Judges. I told you last week that the book of Judges, the whole key was there's no king in Israel and every man is doing what's right in his own eye. The book of Judges <coughs> is a picture of the Laodicean church period. It's a picture of the time that you and I are living in right now. Pre preachers don't preach the Bible. Churches don't teach the Bible. They have no protocol for the people that they have. All they want to do is get from them everything they can and there is no nothing that they give them that sustains them, that will help them. All they want is don't tell me what I did for you yesterday. Tell me what you can do for me today and that's the mindset and in the midst of the apostasy of judges in the midst of the apostasy of this time here is a little book and a little story about a woman who has a, a virtuous woman who who finds grace in the sight of Boaz who builds a proper biblical relationship with him in the midst of of an age and a time when it's total apostasy against God. You've heard me say it from the time we started our church. I say it every time I say it, which is a lot. <laughs> I ain't sure that really made a lot of sense, but you know what I'm talking about. Certainly I say it every time I say it. Scott, what's you looking at me for? I want to build a Philadelphian church in a Laodicean church period. I want to build Philadelphian men and women, Philadelphian moms, Philadelphian dads, Philadelphian couples, Philadelphian young people. I want to build Philadelphian character in the age of apostasy. The Book of Ruth shows you it can be done. The Book of Ruth is my model for building something that is associated with God biblically with God, scripturally with God, in a time period where the apostasy of this world and religion has taken over and killed every decent concept of God Almighty in our lives. Now, we got to look at our cast of characters here. Because it's in the cast of characters that God uses to paint this incredible picture. And this story is one of the most incredible stories. Not only historically does it form a bridge like we already talked about, but my, 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 what it gives you and me to help us understand how to build the intimate relationship we have with God. All right, our first character is Emelech. Emelech, the father of Naomi. Emelech is going to represent for us God the Father. He's a picture of God the Father. How, how could you miss that when you begin to study? You know what? You don't go past the first verse in chapter 1 where he says in this story, a certain man. If you would turn over to Matthew chapter 13 and you'd run the parables from Matthew chapter 13 to Matthew chapter 22, you'd find that same kind of phraseology. You'd find there was a certain man who had two sons. You'd find there was a certain king that had a marriage for a son. You would find there was a man that went on a far journey. You would find there was a certain man that had an honorable. You'd find that phraseology all the way in. And every time you find it there, it is a picture in the parable of God the Father doing something with the nation of Israel. So it is no, it is no hard thing when I see this story and I understand that it deals with the romance of my redemption how the first character that comes to light here is Emelech, a type of God the Father. Then we have, uh, we have uh, Mahalon and, and Chilon. They represent the Old Testament law. And remember now, the Bible says the Old Testament is broken down the law and the prophets. So Mahalon and Chilon represent for us the Old Testament law. And it's very important for you to understand that because as we put this thing together, you're going to see how it plays. Now we got Naomi. Naomi is a picture without a doubt. <clears throat> she is a picture of the nation of Israel. Remember there the Bible says that uh, uh, in, uh, uh, as you come down through here, it talked about in verse 1 that there was a famine in the land. That famine is defined for you in Amos chapter 8 verse 11. In Amos chapter 8 verse 11, you find that 
that, that famine. He says in 8.11, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. The Bible says in Judges' time, there was a famine in the land. That Bible shows you that the famine wasn't of bread, the famine was of the hearing of the Word of God. We're living in a time period today called the Laodicean Church, which matches up to the book of Judges, and there's no question today that there's a famine in this land. And it's not a famine of bread. you got more than you need to eat. You can't drive five blocks anywhere without finding a fast food place or something to eat. Plenty of food. The famine today is not of bread or water. The famine today is it's not even the Word of God. The famine today, if you read the passage, is the hearing of the Word of God. So we find Naomi. She represents for us a picture of the nation of Israel. She's Emelech's wife. The book of Hosea says that God has a wife. God's wife is Israel. And if you read the book of Hosea, you will find very clearly and plainly laid out for you, along with other places in the Bible, that God's wife in the Old Testament is the nation of Israel. Let me clarify that. God has a wife. That wife is the nation of Israel. In other words, Israel is likened to a man's wife, and God is that man. His son, Christ, has a bride. That bride is the church. And when you understand those two concepts, then you understand the two concepts that the whole Bible is built around. The nation of Israel and the body of Christ. The nation of Israel is to God, the Father, what the bride is to His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why there's two kingdoms in the Bible. There's the kingdom of heaven for God and His wife, and there's the kingdom of God for Christ and His bride. And when you understand that, you realize that Naomi... <coughs> who is Amalek's wife, is a picture of the nation of Israel, Amalek being a type of God the Father. And it's no accident in the book of Hosea, Israel is called God's wife. Look at this. She says in verse 21, I went out full, and the Lord brought me again empty. That's Israel. Israel at one time had everything that God wanted it to have. There was a time in Israel's nature and its history when it had everything. Then it wanted nothing. God made them the greatest nation the world has ever seen. They went in full, but because of their unbelief, they came back empty. And today the nation of Israel is empty. Verse 13, it says, It grieveth me. It grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. He, she says, the Almighty hath afflicted me. And in the New Testament, today, as we live, God's hand is against the nation of Israel. They've turned their back on God. They've crucified His Son. And today, God's back is turned on the nation of Israel. You find it in Matthew chapter 13 in the parables. The Bible talks about it in, in so many different ways. He shows you how that when God deals with Israel after the rejection of the kingdom, that God hides himself from Israel, and then God only deals with Israel from behind the scenes as he orchestrates everything in this world to prepare a time called the tribulation period when God the Father restores his wife back to himself. And everything that Naomi pictures and she talks about here, she shows us very clearly that she is a picture and a type of the nation of Israel in its apostasy against God. If you look at verses chapter 11, 12, and 13, you'll find that Naomi is barren and she cannot bear fruit for she has no husband. That's the nation of Israel today. The nation of Israel was a nation that God cultivated. He planted, and He wanted it to bear fruit. But because of their unbelief, they didn't bear fruit. And today, they're in apostasy. Today, they're just like they were in the book of Judges. And Israel cannot bear fruit today, will not bear fruit today. In fact, she is pictured as the fig tree, that when Christ walks out into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and sees the fig tree that has no figs on it, He curses that fig tree, and it withers up not to bear fruit again in this life. Picture of the nation of Israel. That's where they're at today. That's Naomi. She's barren. She can't have any fruit. Now, I'll tell you something else. Chapter 3 talks about a great New Testament concept. That's taught in Romans chapter 9 through Romans chapter 11. It talks about the rest. 
that Ruth gets. And Ruth gets her rest, the Bible says, from Naomi. Now here's a great concept taught in Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, and Romans chapter 11. And that is this. The Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 22, that salvation is of the Jew. You and I got saved because of the fact that the Jew blew it. Because the Jew failed and lost it, God gave it to the church. And whether you know it or not, you have what you have in Christ Jesus because of the nation of Israel. Because without him, it wouldn't even have been a Jesus. The Bible you hold in your hand today is a Jewish book. I don't care if it does say King James on the front of it. It's a Jewish book. Every writer in it is a Jew. In fact, Jacob, I mean King James, James is a Hebrew word for Jacob. You got a Jewish book. Every word in it comes from a Jew. And that Bible you got gives you rest. And that rest comes from the nation of Israel. And that's why he says in Romans chapter 11 and Romans chapter 9, talking to us, he says, don't get wise in your own conceits. Don't think because you're the church now and you've got everything in the church and you've got everything that God wants you to have that you have taken the place of God's wife, Israel, because you haven't. And then he goes on to say the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And then he says, all Israel shall be saved. But you got what you got and I got what I got because of the Jews. The Bible says that Christ is the olive tree, Romans chapter 11. The Bible says the nation of Israel are the natural branches, Romans chapter 11. And the Bible says about you and me that we were grafted in as a wild olive tree into the natural branches. Don't get too high and mighty about the nation of Israel thinking you're better than they are. The Bible says right now in the church age, they're your enemies for the gospel's sake, but for God's sake, they're the beloved of the Father. And you better understand it because God's not finished with them yet. That's why God says, I'll bless those that bless thee and I'll curse those that curse thee. Naomi pictures that. Because Ruth gets her rest from Naomi. And you and I get our rest from a Jewish book written by a Jewish nation which gives us the rest that we have in Christ. That's not all. You ever notice in chapter 1 verse 1 Naomi leaves the land? Then in chapter 1 verse 19 22 she comes back to the land? Just like the nation of Israel. They're kicked out of the land. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, they come back in Ezra and Nehemiah. They're kicked out under Titus in 70 AD, and they come back in 1948. She's a picture of the Jew. She's a picture of the nation of Israel. Now let's look at Boaz. Boaz is a type of Christ. Ebelech's a type of God the Father. The two boys are a type of the Old Testament law. Ruth is a type, or, 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 or Naomi is a type of the nation of Israel, and Boaz is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at it. The Bible says that Boaz has a field. Matthew chapter 13, verse 38, the Bible says that the field's the world. Boaz has a servant that he goes out and asks him of, just like Abraham does with Eleazar back there in the book of Genesis. That servant's a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. Then he says, who's that damsel working in that field? And the servant says, that's that Moabite woman. Boaz comes from Bethlehem. So does the Lord Jesus Christ. He has reapers that glean the barley and the wheat. And let me tell you something, my friend. That depth of that concept hasn't been unearthed yet. Because you go to Isaiah chapter 20, you find two, two harvests in this book of Ruth. You'll find the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. You go to Isaiah chapter 28, and you'll find that that Bible lays that thing out all three areas. The principal wheat, the appointed barley, and the fitch and the chaff. You know what you got? The principal wheat, wheat harvest, body of Christ. The appointed barley, barley harvest, tribulation Jews. And the fitch and the chaff, unsaved people, Matthew chapter 13. In that little chapter right there, you've got everything between the rapture of the church. Now, I don't know how to figure it out. But boy, I get over in Isaiah chapter 28, it's as clear as a bell. It shows me that that barley harvest and that wheat harvest, it means something. It's a picture of somebody harvesting the wheat and the, in the, in the, in the, green, in the gleanings and the, and the reaping. It's a picture of something. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. We talked about it when we told the story. That means he's a broad 
blood relative to a person who has lost her husband and is now widowed, and he has the ability as a kinsman redeemer to go in as a near kinsman and redeem that person and pay their debt and buy their whatever and redeem them. Now that's an interesting phrase, kinsman redeemer. Because when you look at that, and that's laid out in the Old Testament back there in Deuteronomy 25 or someplace, when you look at it and you understand the concept of the kinsman redeemer, you'll find out that for a kinsman redeemer to redeem somebody, there was four qualifications. And those four qualifications fit right into the qualifications that Christ fulfilled to be my kinsman redeemer. First of all, the kinsman redeemer had to be related by blood. That's why Christ came down and took on the body of a man. That's why God chose for my Redeemer to redeem me and to be able to redeem me. He had to come down and take on the body that I've got. He had to feel the things that I feel. He had to experience the things that I experience. When he came down, yes, he was the Son of God, but he also was the Son of Man. And when he came down, he came down in a human body. God didn't make him some angel of God that came down. God brought him through the womb of a woman, Mary, and made him a man in every fashion of the man. In fact, Romans chapter 1, verse 3 says, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was with God. And the same was in the beginning with God. He says in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. For him to be my redeemer, first of all, as Boaz, he had to be related by blood. Then the second qualification, he had to be able to pay the price of redemption. Oh, and the Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, my redeemer, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Oh, he was able to redeem because the blood that he had in his veins wasn't human blood. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20, it was God's blood. And it was like the old mercy seat in the Old Testament where they killed that innocent lamb and they brought it up there and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. My Jesus, who came down related by blood and the sin of man and the seed of David, came down and shed that perfect, innocent blood on the cross of Calvary. And he was able, he was able to pay the price of my redemption because of his blood. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, You know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. Third qualification. Not only had to be related by blood, not only had to be able to pay the price of redemption, but he had to be willing to redeem. Oh, and John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that he, 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 he came down willing that man would be saved. Let me tell you something. If you go to hell, and I hope you don't, but if any man or woman on the face of this planet goes to hell, you'll have to bear the reproach of being in a place that God never intended for you to be in, that God loved you so much that He came down and sent His only Son, born of man, able to redeem, with a power to redeem, to redeem you, and God never intended you to be in that place. And if you're there, it's because you have rejected Him and you have decided that you want to go to hell. Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that he is, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Then the last qualification. For him to be able to redeem, he had to be free himself. He couldn't under, be under a bondage of anything. Oh, and my Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, when Christ came down and died on a cross and shed that precious blood because he took on the body of a man related by blood as my kinsman redeemer, and he was able to pay the price of redemption as my kinsman redeemer, and, and he came down, he was willing to pay that redemption price as my kinsman redeemer. The Bible says that he himself was free. And the wife, friend, he, he, he redeemed me from the curse of the law. How did he do it? Because the Bible says, yes, he was human, and yes, yes, he was a man and yes he was tempted on all points yet like I am but without sin he was free from the curse of the law so therefore he was free to redeem me and make me free 
So in chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, Boaz buys the field. And he redeems all that was Amalek's. Oh, and we're talking about the day that God came down and bought the field. We're talking about the day that God Almighty came down and by the precious blood of Christ and His death on the cross, He redeemed all mankind. Because when, when, when Boaz is done, he says in 4 verse 9, I have bought all that was of Elimelech's. And when God's Son died on the cross, He said, It is finished. And when He said it is finished, He bought everything that was God's and paid for it in His own blood as my kinsman redeemer. That's why the Bible says you're not your own. That's why the Bible says you don't have a right to do whatever you want to do with your life once you're a Christian. That's why the Bible says, what, know ye not your body, the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. You're bought with a price. And the price was paid by my kinsman redeemer, my Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, now we got Ruth. And I guess you figured it out by now. You're pretty much smart bunch of people here. Ruth is a picture of you and me. In fact, you know that in the Bible there are seven marriages. Seven marriages in the Bible that picture Christ being married to the church. Seven of them. That's God's system of sevens. First one's Adam and Eve. Second one's Isaac and Rebekah. Third one's Joseph and Asenel. Fourth one's Moses and Zipporah. Fifth one is right here, Ruth and Boaz. Sixth one, David and Abigail. Seventh one, Solomon and the Shumanite. So there are seven marriages in the Bible that picture that if you would go to them, you would find the surrounding story building around the day that you and I marry the Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer, because he's redeemed all that was God's. Now the first thing I want you to see about Ruth is this. She's not an Israelite. She's a Moabite. And as a Moabite, she's an enemy of God. The Moabites came from the ancestral relationship with Lot and his daughters in that cave back in Genesis. And the Moabites were always God's enemy. The Moabites were never God's children's friends. They hated God. They hated the children of Israel. And they hated everything that they stood for. And they tried at every turn and every way to stop whatever God was doing. And the devil uses them greatly in all that transpires in the Old Testament. Now, Ruth and Oprah, they picture the two types of Gentile sinners that need redemption. Now, Malon and Shilon represent the law. And when you understand it and you look at it and you study it, you will find, in fact, turn your Bible over to Romans. This is one you've got to see. Turn over to Romans chapter 7. Because this death of these two boys who represent the law set up and show you the New Testament principle and teaching of why you can get saved. Because they represented, Malon and Shilon represented the Old Testament law. And now they're dead. And because they're dead, Ruth and Oprah are free now to marry somebody else. Watch. Romans chapter 7. Talking about you and me in our relationship with Christ. Romans chapter 7 is the great chapter that talks about the fact that we're free from the law. But look how he uses it and look at the story that he says. Verse 1. Know ye not, brethren? For I speak to them that know the law. Old Testament. How that the law. Old Testament. Hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to the, her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. This is the Old Testament law. This doesn't apply to the New Testament Christian. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Got to keep it straight. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now, up to this point, he's talked about a man and a woman. And the man represents the law. The woman represents somebody who was bound by her husband like you and I were bound by the Old Testament law. Now watch verse 4, how he pulls it all together. Here comes the book of Ruth. Wherefore, my brethren, ye, New Testament Christians, are become dead to the law. There's Chilon and Milon. 
Wherefore, my brethren, ye are able uh, also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. See that thing? That Bible says just that Chilon and Malon back there were married to her and, and, and Oprah. And as long as they were married, they couldn't marry somebody else. When they died, they were free to marry. And she marries Boaz. You and I, before we were saved, were bound by the law. But when Christ came and died, he, the law was done away with. And we are now free to marry somebody else. The Lord Jesus Christ, my Boaz, my kinsman redeemer. Oh, you couldn't miss it. Unbelievable. Now, Ruth and Ophrah. They picture two Gentile sinners who need redemption. Malon and Shiloh, they represent the law. Now, when you look at this thing here, that brings on a decision. And Ruth and Oprah show the two kind of responses that we find today about God's redemption. Because it brings on a decision. Oprah, verse 15, the Bible says, goes back to her people and her gods. She's never heard from again. She's a picture of a Gentile who hears the gospel about the kinman redeemer and then goes her way and goes right back to her old lifestyle. Ruth, verses 16, 17, and 18. They both knew about God. They both knew from Naomi who God was and the people of God, the children of God. They knew the story. It was no secret thing back then. And she knows the people of God as Oprah did. And she says, you know what? I'm going with you. I'm not going back. I know about your God. I want to be, thy people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Where you die, I'm going to die. And the Bible says in verse 18 that she was steadfastly Minded to go. I want to make this point again. That all that Ruth gets. Comes from Naomi. Because salvation is of the Jews. Chapter 2 verse 10. You don't have to turn to it. Just follow me through here. She's working in the field. Ruth. Working in the field. Now I want you to pay attention to this. Because. When you come down to chapter 2, verse 3, we're in the book of Judges. And I want you to see the book of Judges, as you've already know, because we laid it out as a great time of apostasy. But in chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says that Ruth is working in the field after the reapers have gone through. She's a picture of the Laodicean church after the great Philadelphian church where the world was reaped with the gospel of Jesus Christ and three quarters of the world's population was saved. And now Ruth, after the reapers, is gleaning in the fields, getting the last few grapes before she meets her Boaz. And you and I are gleaning in the fields after it's been reaped. And we are gleaning the last pieces of barley and wheat out of the field, the world, before my Boaz comes back. The great Philadelphian church age with a great harvest. A greatest time in church history. Well, as I said, three quarters of the world was one to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Today, we're in the Laodicean church period. We're in the book of Judges. No king, no authority. Every man doing what is own right. And that's why there's no great revivals today. That's why people don't want to come to church today. That's why they don't want to hear about God today. That's why they don't want to do what's right in their marriages. That's why they don't want to do what's right with God. That's why they don't want to come. They don't want to be involved. You know why? The bottom line is we're living in a day and age where everybody's having a great time and God is the farthest thing from your mind until you get into trouble. And then it's only in passing do you feel better than you're on your way again. Why? Because if you win them today, you've got to glean them. Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be coming in the days of the Son of Man. Noah preached for 120 years, never had a convert. We're not quite there yet, but it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. She works in the field. And it's in the field that she meets Boaz and she finds grace in his sight. Oh, and here's where it becomes special to me. He sees her. And he knows 
What she has done with Naomi, how she's taken care of Naomi, how she's he's helped her, she's supported her, and she type of the nation of Israel. She sees in her heart the goodness and the kindness and her attitude of heart of everything that God is looking for, and her heart was willing, it was not selfish, and God says, That's the kind of person that I want. And my friend, that's basically the difference why some people get saved and some people won't. It has nothing to do with what God does. It has to do with your attitude of heart toward God. Boaz says, oh, what a great statement. He says, it hath been shown me all that thou hast done. That's a wrong statement. That's not what it said. It says, I'm sorry, it says, it hath been fully shown me all that hath done unto thy mother-in-law. Since her husband's death. Wow. There's a picture of God Almighty looking down in the depths of your soul before you're even saved. And God's Holy Spirit revealing to him what's in your heart. And God moving into your heart even before you're saved. And putting that clause of protection around you. That's why you should have been killed before you got saved, but you wasn't. That's why you, something should have disastrously befell you, but it didn't. God saw that in your heart and saw in, that, in your heart what he is looking for in that tenderness. And no, you didn't know him yet. You didn't know him as your Savior yet. Maybe you didn't even know anything about him. But he saw you and it had been fully shown unto him all what is in your heart. And God says, put a clause of protection around him. In time, he's going to love me. The tragedy is that, that clause of protection could be to anybody in this world if they wanted it. Not his, it's yours. Life's about decisions, my friend. Life's about decisions. God already made his decision. He decided to die for you. Your move. I think this is great. Chapter 3, Naomi. A type of the nation of Israel from which we get the Bible. It's Naomi that's telling Ruth how to have the right kind of relationship with Boaz. You know why? Because it's that Bible, a Jewish book from the nation of Israel, Salvation of the Jews, that tells you how to have the right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 3, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on new raiment. Don't have time to get into that. And then I want you to see this, chapter 3, verse 2. All this is taking place at night. And it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, that says the church age is the great nighttime. Jesus comes, comes as a thief in the night. And so she goes in during the night. And she takes her proper place as a child of God. Like Mary in John chapter 11, she winds up at the feet of Jesus. You know, the great principle here is sometimes you can't find out what God wants in your life till you get in the right position with God. And it ain't at his head. It's at his feet. Mary and Martha are the two greatest examples of that you ever find in the Bible. Mary, Martha is one of those rounds that runs around, rip around, tells everything, knows everything, wants to find everything she doesn't know. She's the busybody that runs up one side and down the other than any piece of dirt in the world Martha's got. She can tell you something happened 55 years ago. Boy, she's got the details done like that, but she couldn't find her way around the Bible. Life depended on it. That's the Martha type. Mary, she's always at his feet. She's the one who took the oil, wiped it on his feet, took her own hair, got involved. The Bible says that she took, Mary took I, I don't know how much it was, but in those times, I forget what it says, but it's like it was a whole year's wages. Somebody said one time how stupid that was to take all for a year's wages and put it on his feet. And I thought to myself, why, why, what a great concept. Because that's exactly what you need to do. We need to give all of our lives to make, if it just takes making him smell good for just a moment. Giving everything to him. And she takes her place in the middle of the night at the feet of Jesus where we all should be. And when he wakes up, he says, wow, thou art a virtuous woman. He sees the context. He sees everything that's in there. And he says in chapter 2, verse 8, he likens her to one of his maidens, a virgin. And in verse 15, she's told to, she puts on a veil, the type of the church, Ephesians chapter 5, the great mystery. So Ruth gets redeemed by Boaz, becomes his wife, just as I was redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm the bride, and he's my bridegroom. 
And right now, in the midst of apostasy of the Laodicean church age, I, like Ruth, am building a relationship with my Redeemer based on a book I got from Naomi, the nation of Israel. And like Ruth, in these last days, I'm gleaning in the fields right before my Redeemer comes. And then what follows and I'm through. It's one of the greatest principles in the New Testament and all of the Bible on winning people to Christ. I know you all want to win people to Christ. I know that's true. I know you all want to work with people. And as soon as we get some things going here, we're going to take all of you that want to, and I'm going to work with you on a Saturday morning over at my house, and I'm going to show you how to disciple. And I'm going to teach you the basic concept. I already taught some of you how to win people to Christ. I know you want to win people to the Lord, and I know you will. Because I know that God is going to bless this church, not because of me, but because of this book. Because of this book and because of you, not because of me. Because this church won't be as strong as you are, and this church won't be as strong as you are in this book. But I know you want to win people to Christ. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, Adam was told to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, literally. Genesis chapter 9, Noah was told to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, literally. And spiritually, God has told us to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. We are to win people to Christ. We're to win people to Christ. Now, most churches make an effort to win people to Christ. Most pastors want to see people saved. But what happens in all of this <clears throat> in the Laodicean church that we live in is that we try to take soul winning and make it a program. I don't know how many times I've heard a pastor get up and say, you know what, this man here, he really has the gift of evangelism. <clears throat> I've saw churches and had their publications out that talked about seminars, <clears throat> and they even taught that soul winning was a spiritual gift. <clears throat> I saw them do all kinds of things to give soul winning teaching. I've seen them how to do things that comes right up to the thing of almost, not almost, tricking people to say yes to be saved. I read a book one time that a man wrote that was a Christian that everybody thought was one of the greatest guys in the world. Maybe he was. I don't know. In his book he said he taught you how to win three out of the next five people you meet to Christ. But I want to say to you today, after examining the book of Ruth, after understanding the book of Song of Solomon, and understanding that Christ, my kinsman redeemer, redeemed me, I want you to understand that just as Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife and the Bible says in verse 13 that when he went in unto her the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. Soul winning is not a gift. Soul winning is not a program. Soul winning is not even the job of the church. Soul winning my friend is a natural function of the believer that takes place naturally through the intimacy of the believer, Ruth, and Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get married, through the natural act of intimacy, if you don't do something to stop it, you're going to have kids. Maybe not the first time, maybe not the second time, but it's a biological impossibility unless there is a medical malfunction someplace that you're not going to produce fruit. And that fruit is produced through an, a concept called marriage that God has given us the intimacy to have and bear fruit. And yet in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and let the woman reverence her husband as unto the Lord. He makes that statement that the marriage is a picture of that relationship because soul winning is not based on how good you can talk. It isn't based how good you can flip through the scriptures. It's based on your intimate personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, your kinsman redeemer, and when you have that intimacy with him, you will bear fruit. Last thing. Obed. Then Jesse. Then David. Through her relationship with God, Boaz, she changed the face of the nation of Israel. Don't ever tell me that one person won't make a difference. 
Don't ever tell me that one person cannot make a difference. D.L. Moody. You say his name, everybody knows it. There isn't a preacher in the world who doesn't know who D.L. Moody was. One of the greatest preachers, last of the Philadelphian preachers, built a, one of the greatest churches in Chicago the world has ever seen, won hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Toured this world, toured this country. Every place he went, people came to hear Moody. He had the power of God in his life, very unique, like most men have never had. Everybody knows Moody. There isn't one Christian in the world today who can tell me the shoe store salesman that won him to Christ. I've never met a Christian in my life, and I know his name, but I've never met a Christian in my life that knew the shoe salesman on the south side of Chicago that won the greatest preacher probably in the 20th century, D.L. Moody, to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it makes a difference. You think that shoe salesman knew he was winning Moody to Christ who was going to become? No. No. You think it was planned? Not by him. No, no. That little shoe salesman just went to work every day and saw that dirty little kid outside there and would talk to him and be nice to him. And he was a Sunday school teacher. And one day, invited him to a Sunday school class, and that little ragged kid came, and he sat down with a King James 1611 and won him to Christ, not because it was a program, but because through the intimacy of that relationship, God could say to that man, I see something in that boy that I need, and through our intimacy, I want you to bear fruit. Don't let anybody ever tell you, as a church, child of God, you can't change the world. But it isn't based on your intellect. It isn't based on your ability. It's based on your intimacy between you, Ruth, and your Boaz, your kinsman redeemer. And in the process of time, you'll conceive and you'll bear fruit spiritually. And you'll impact the world. The book of Ruth, my relationship with God and the apostasy of religion. The book of Ruth, Bob Alexander, building a relationship with his kinsman redeemer and having a Philadelphian walk in a Laodicean church period. Every head bowed and every eye closed. <clears throat>